Welcome to Sparking Wholeness, where we talk all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. I'm your host, Erin Carey. I'm a survivor of bipolar disorder and a self-proclaimed nutrition nerd who loves asking why. As a certified integrative nutrition health coach, my goal is to help people find balance, and I want to help you find ways to spark wholeness in your life. For more information, check out sparkingwholeness.com or on the Instagram handle, Sparking Wholeness. And now, get ready for today's awesome show. Hey, everybody, it's Erin Carey. Welcome back to Sparking Wholeness. And today, I'm really fascinated by this topic of health and being your own health advocate and how do we do this? And there seems to be such a, there's so many black and white issues when it comes to health, but I've found there are a lot of gray areas. So I have found, I think, the perfect person to discuss these issues. And today I'm sitting down with Dr. Jim Meehan. He is somebody who champions honest science deployed to create genuine health. He has advanced training and experience in ophthalmology, ocular inflammation and immunology, preventative medicine, addiction medicine, and endocrinology. Dr. Meehan edited the medical journal, Ocular Immunology and Inflammation. He learned to discern high quality medical research from the low quality, biased and contrived pseudoscience used to promote pharmaceutical industry products. He participated in clinical research investigating the associations between military vaccinations, evidence of previous retinal vasculitis and Gulf War syndrome. Dr. Meehan is a fifth degree black belt in Taekwondo, world jujitsu champion and 2013 living legend inductee into the Martial Arts Masters Hall of Fame. He has dedicated his career to exposing the greed, fraud, and pseudoscience responsible for the corruption of the American healthcare system and the intolerable harm, suffering, and death of America's children. And wow, we are going to get into some interesting things today. So thank you so much for being on the call. So good to be here, Aaron. I'm so glad that you're you're putting out this kind of this this kind of approach, you know, helping people to learn how to be discerning because they're going to have to learn mm -hmm. um, to be skeptics, to be discerning in the science because it's being used against us. It's being, you know, mm -hmm. pseudoscience is being weaponized now against the American public, against the world. And yeah. no, at no time have we ever seen it so overt as we're seeing it now with this COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and one of the things that has just been brought to my mind uh, because I do have an English degree and I do love history and I have read a lot is it remind me kind of of the, of the middle ages and times when we had the elite few that were allowed to disperse information and share information where the common peasants were not allowed to read or investigate for themselves. And I, it seems like we're seeing that with, with medicine right now. Is that correct? Well, we, we've seen it throughout history. We've seen, um, you know, governmental organizations, tyrants, dictators try to do this same kind of thing that's being done today, which is censorship, it's harassment, bullying, you know, diminishing um, arguments that don't follow the, the accepted narrative. It's, it's been perpetrated throughout time and, and throughout history, the, when it has been done, when the public has been, you know, prevented from speaking, um, diminished in their voice, uh, major crimes, lots of lives lost have mm. been the result. So we can't tolerate it. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. And, you know, and I think that, that to be truly open-minded, we should be open to hearing perspectives from all sides and, right. and not just one side. And, and that's again, why I'm so glad to have you on. And I, and I want to talk about this article I read, I think it was last month that popped up in Forbes and a lot of people were circulating it. And it was basically saying that you should not do your own research when it comes to science. Um, it pretty much imply, implied that most of us are uneducated. We can't understand studies properly. Uh, and we, then we just get all of our research from Dr. Google. You know, we hear that a lot. So what would, you, what would be your response to that article? I'm sure you saw it. Yeah, just reject that kind of, that, that's the arrogance and hubris of, of elitist. That's elitist thinking um, to, to just, and it, and it really kind of presents a perspective where they don't respect the intellect of the common man, uh, common woman, because, you know, I have found 
in some of the areas that I've worked with and the vaccine issues and opioids, um, that some of the most intelligent voices out there are people that may not even have a, a college degree, but they're just brilliant people that, you know, today you can learn almost everything that you need on the internet. You have to be discerning. You need to know, you know, what is real from what is fictional, made up, contrived, et cetera. But you can't simply believe that everything in the medical science is real because 85% of it is fraudulent, contrived, bought mm -hmm. and paid for pseudoscience. As a, as a medical editor, that's what I came, you know, I came to learn very clearly is that there is a real, you know, there is a real um, bias and bought body of science that is bought and paid for by the pharmaceutical industry. Mm -hmm. Early in my career, I'll give you a, a real example as a medical editor of the medical journal, Ocular Immunology and Inflammation, um, two really compelling articles that talked about um, vaccines in childhood being associated with retinal vasculitis or inflammation of the blood vessels that was so significant was causing bleeding in the back of children's eyes. Mm -hmm. one, one study was from Italy, the other from the West Coast. They were both very sound science. You know, you have to look when you're discerning in the medical literature, you have to look for bias, you know, who funds the study, how, who funds the individual researchers, what's their body of work. Conflicts of interest are one of the first things that you need to look for. Does somebody have a financial bias that might um, bias their decision making and the way they create a methodology? Are they just simply trying to create a, a study that gives the funder the results that the funder wants so that they get funded again for the next study? That's, there's so much science that is, is made just in that fashion. So um, the, the, the fraud in the medical science, oh, to finish my story, I should finish that story first. <laughs> So two great studies, they check all the boxes, good methodology, independent researchers, compelling science. It, it, the, the science that we were, they were looking at was the science that we, um, the findings in the back of a child's eye, bleeding in the back, in the retina of a child's eye, that is often called shaken baby syndrome. The, you know, we're trained in ophthalmology to dilate the, the eyes of children that child abuse is suspected, look for these findings. And if they're there, it can be considered the cardinal sign of child abuse. But I'd seen like um, 22 patients in the ER at that point as, an, as a resident physician at Washington University in St. Louis. And I was all, it was, it was, it didn't make sense. You know, I saw several, I saw social workers come in, um, uh, Health and Human Services, Child Protective Services come in and separate parents from children, parents that I had interviewed, children that I had examined that didn't make sense. There was no evidence of, you know, uh, bruising or tissue injuries that would have supported shaken baby syndrome, but they simply had these retinal hemorrhages in the black back of their eyes. So these two studies that I wanted, that I approved for publication in the journal, in the medical journal, were denied publication um, because they they were presenting a view of the science that didn't follow the you know didn't toe the line with what the medical and pharmaceutical industrial complex wanted to present. So I actually I, when the senior editor denied publication of the, the articles that I had signed off on, I called a meeting, met, went and met with them, and I was I was essentially told that. We're not going to publish those because Merck is a major is a major donor to this university, and if we were to publish those, we would there would be repercussions for you and I. I would probably lose my job. You would lose your residency position, and et cetera. And at the time, I was too young, too naive. That was not a hill that I wanted to die on. But it was it was a an example that I saw then replicated many times throughout the following years and throughout my career. I've seen the the not publishing science that does not conform to the the approved narrative, mm -hmm. not seeing the light of day. Studies that are being conducted by the pharmaceutical industry, and we allow the pharmaceutical industry to do too much of their own studies to prove that their drug or vaccine works, is the negative studies never get published. It's only the positive studies. And most of the science is not conforming to the scientific method. You know, scientific method says 
we conduct a medical experiment to prove ourselves wrong, to prove the hypothesis wrong. If you can prove that masks don't work, you, you know, you're, you're trying to set up a study that proves that masks don't work. And, but we're not doing that. We're, you, you set up a study to prove that the drug is dangerous or has adverse effects um, or a vaccine. That's not what we're doing. We're allowing the pharmaceutical industry to contrive the methodology so that it proves that the drug is effective. So for example, what they do in vaccines is they go get the healthiest members of the population they can pop possibly get. They screen them and it's called healthy user bias. And they'll populate their study subjects with the healthiest members of the population that in no way represents the, the demographic, the population that will ultimately receive the drug, the vaccine or the medical intervention. That's not science, that's pseudoscience. Mm -hmm. That's how you get a drug to market that you may not find um, for years is killing hundreds of thousands of people or children. Let me give you a perfect example of this, and it's Merck's Vioxx um, pain medication in the early 2000s. That was, they, Merck funded their own study, sent it to the FDA, said this drug is safe and effective. Here's our science, and it, gets, it goes onto the market. Over the next two and a half years, the body count is piling up. People are dying, people treated with Vioxx for mild pain and inflammation conditions are having heart attacks and strokes. They're literally dying and, and doctors are starting to speak up. Um, but as soon as a doctor would speak up, they would attack them. The industry, their organizations that are all heavily funded by the pharmaceutical industry by Merck would attack those doctors, get them um, fired from their jobs. Simone Gold, um, uh, America's frontline doctors talking about hydroxychloroquine, she was fired from her practice for simply presenting her point of view. But in the Merck situation, that was, you know, th that vaccines aren't, manufacturers aren't liable for the injuries mm -hmm. they cause, but the drug was, so they went to court, largest settlement in the history of pharmaceutical, $4.85 billion Merck had to pay because they killed about 160,000 patients in two and a half years. That's oh. about how many we've lost from coronavirus. Mm. Um, they killed that many patients with their drug. In the, um, the legal investigation, we found out that they dropped patients from the preclinical trials that had adverse events so that they wouldn't have to include them in the data set, Aaron. Oh. They, uh, furthermore, we found internal memos in which they, they were identifying doctors that were speaking out about their concerns with the safety and effectiveness of Vioxx. And they were, and the internal mem memo said, we will attack them where they live. And they were, they were attacking those doctors, their credibility, their reputations, their employment to um, diminish their voice. They were trying to silence their, their the, you know, the whistleblowers because um, they were more concerned with their profit line than they were with the health of their customers. So that's what, um, and, and, and not only did they kill over 160,000 patients with their drug, they injured well over a half million more. And that is an example of what is happening everywhere in science and pharmaceuticals. This vaccine industry is so full of this kind of um, corrupt fraudulent pseudoscience that is being, you know, perpetrated by the pharmaceutical industry, and it's intolerable. Patients are dying. Medicine is, has become the third leading cause of death in this country, mm -hmm. and a big reason is because we're not um, allowing people to have a voice. We're, we're silencing debate. We're censoring opposing views on social media. These are deadly mistakes. We can't tolerate them, not with COVID-19, not with childhood vaccines, not with anything. Yeah. And, and if you speak up, you get attacked and you're labeled a quack, right? I know that that's a popular term. I've heard that. Um, it, it's interesting. I, I had an experience, gosh, years ago um, in the pediatrician's office when I asked about an ingredient in the flu vaccine and my, my pediatrician at the time, not my current pediatrician for my kids, she laughed at me um, and pushed it off. Well, I thought this is so strange. And I went to the CDC website 
And that ingredient that I, that I questioned her on, at this, I really can't remember what ingredient it was at this point. Right. Um, it's in there. It's on the list. It's on the CDC website. Right. Yet, so I wasn't sure, did she not know it was on there? Or was she... she she just thought know. it was funny that I was asking. I don't, it was very confusing. And it's, it's a mix of things. I've encountered this many times. I've also debated pediatricians and physicians all over the country with regard to vaccines. And um, uh, I was in Brooklyn, New York at the measles outbreak a couple of years ago. And, and I was uh, myself and a couple other people were debating five pediatricians. And, and I, I quizzed them on vaccine ingredients and they didn't know. They, in fact, denied the, the presence of aborted fetal cellular material in our vaccines. The, you know, it's on the package insert for the MMR vaccine, um, for the varicella chickenpox vaccine in particular, that there's twice as much human DNA microfragments and residual cellular protein materials from the aborted fetal cells used to grow those vaccines than there is the chickenpox antigen, twice as much human antigen as there is chickenpox antigen in a vaccine that is given to almost every child in America. And the pediatricians literally sat there and tried to tell me that is um, nonsense. That is not true. You're wrong. And I, I, I get it all the time. So I said, okay, um, here's a uh, exhibit number one. I want you, and I handed out the package insert to each one of them. And I had already highlighted it. And I said, now read that, read it out loud and tell me once again that I'm wrong because it's right there on the package insert and it's everywhere else where this is being discussed with something other than a bias. Now, I mentioned this, you know, we can never underestimate the power of cognitive biases. You know, one thing you learn as a medical editor and anybody that is, is trying to discern fact from fiction is you have to understand, are there cognitive biases? Do you have a financial bias? Pediatricians have a very strong financial bias they get paid to deliver vaccines. It's about, on average, studies have shown it's about $90,000 per year for an average pediatrician with a population of patients of about 3,500 pediatric patients in their practice. 90 grand. It's a pretty, that's more than most people make. That's just vaccines. And, they, and so they have a very strong financial bias. If you have a financial bias or any other bias, you tend to only read the material that supports your beliefs. It's called confirmation bias. So if, if, you, um, if you have a confirmation bias, <clears throat> you're very unlikely to, uh, or you're exercising your confirmation bias, you're not reading the opposing material. You don't want to hear it. You're glad that Facebook is censoring, you know, opposing ideas. But it, that's a really dangerous situation to be in where you're not considering both sides. So, you know, if you want to be discerning in science and medicine or any topic, you have to open your mind. You have to, you have to try to be as objective as you possibly can. You have to recognize your biases. And if you have them, you need to consciously overcome them. Force yourself to read your opposing, you know, if there is an opposing side to your belief system, read it and read it with the intent to try to prove yourself wrong. If you can't do that, you're probably not going to come to, you know, a real evidence-based decision based on all the evidence at hand. And that's the mistake that we make in medicine. You know, I, I have tried in, in everything that I do, I make sure that I don't have a financial bias. A lot of people say, oh, Dr. Meehan is probably selling supplements or treating kids. He's trying to grow his practice. Zero um, conflicts of interest. I don't, I don't sell supplements. Um, I, I mean, I recommend supplements, and, and, um, but it is like nothing to my practice. I don't treat children with vaccine injuries. I'm not trying to grow my practice. When people ask me to be an expert witness in a child that's injured with vaccines, I do it for free. I do it for free. Now, don't hit me up. I can't do it all the time. People that, you know, um, I will do it to the best of my ability, but I will always do it for free because I want to um, make sure that I am not, I don't have a financial bias. I don't want to be an expert witness or, you know, somebody that goes on a podcast because I'm trying to build my business. That's not what this is about. This is about a man that was a, you know, former member of the United States military that took an oath to serve and protect, to protect our 
the public from enemies, both foreign and domestic. As a physician that took an oath to do no harm, you know, that I believe I'm responsible for, um, you know, helping the public to get the right information so they can right, make the right decisions. So I don't have a, I don't have a dog in this fight. It's all about standing up for truth so that we can make the right decisions. Um, we can protect our liberties, our freedoms, and we don't allow big industry to control the narrative, to fear mongers into doing things that make absolutely no sense, maybe causing far more harm than the narrative that we're being, you know, fear mongered with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I, really want to encourage anybody who is listening right now and who's already feeling, oh, they're getting a little tense or they're, you know, feeling like this is going against everything that, that they believe and they're not sure how they feel about it to lean into that discomfort and really ask, ask why this topic is uncomfortable to you. And I've had to do that so many times throughout my own health journey. And it's, it really, there's a lot of freedom in that to just find that space of discomfort and lean in and go, you know, what is causing this, what belief is being threatened and what, what view of my world is being threatened here and why. And, and I think that that's an important thing for all of us to do if we are going to be our own health advocates and if we are going to be on our own health journeys. And, and like you said, I think that questioning is a part of this, even the scientific theory, scientific method you were talking about. So for some reason that's gotten twisted. Well, let me say something. You make a really good point. If you are listening to something that makes you uncomfortable, you, you do need to lean into that. I think that's a great point, Aaron, is you need to lean into that because that might be the, the internal signal. That might be the evidence that you do have a bias that needs to be confronted. You know, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be uh, you know, stressed out or feel uncomfortable about an opposing view that we, unless we just simply haven't ever examined it. Is there, you know, is there legitimacy to that opposing view? Because there almost always is. Then we have to determine how, how legitimate is that argument that's being presented? Is it, is it based on solid evidence and science and research? Or at, is it based on, you know, low level evidence? In medicine, in medical research, there is a tool that we use. It's called the pyramid of hierarchical evidence. And it, the pyramid starts at the bottom with low level science. So that'd be like anecdotal evidence. People talking about, I took this and I got better. You know, I, I did this and I got worse. Well, that's, you know, th that might be 100% true, but that, that doesn't recognize the complexity of an overall situation. As you go up the pyramid, you go from like observational studies, retrospective studies. A lot of our decision-making based on medical mass is, is based on observational retrospective studies. It's low-level science. When you get to the top of the pyramid, it's, it's about meta-analysis or systemic reviews of randomized controlled trials. You know, at the end of the day, the most solid piece of research methodology is a randomized controlled trial in which a control group is, like if it's a drug or a vaccine, the control group should be a, a placebo, at a completely inert placebo. Um, in vaccines, we, don't, we, we break that rule all the time. They'll use the meningitis vaccine. Moderna is using the, um, the meningitis vaccine as their control in the Moderna mRNA vaccine for COVID-19. That's not science. That's pseudoscience. You, wow. Why are you not using a saline placebo control? They'll say, well, because patients don't get swelling and irritation at the injection site, and so they might know. Well, I, I grant you that, but you're also giving a vaccine that has a high adverse event profile. You're giving a, a vaccine that may mask the negative side effects of the Moderna vaccine, right? So uh, if you're not using randomized controlled trials where you know, hopefully the, both the recipient, the test subject and the doctor are blinded so they don't know which one is being administered because there are little cues and, you know, that can be given that would cue people in and the power of the mind, you can't underestimate it. If you know it's, the, if you know it's um, Gardasil versus the active placebo that they used in Gardasil, which was everything but the 
um, antigens and HPV. That was a, that was a um, ridiculously pseudoscientific trial, by the way. Read HPV vaccine on trial if you want to understand that issue. Another great example of how pseudoscience is being used to promote vaccines. But if you're not using the, the gold standard scientific methodology, then you are not conducting real science. Now, in terms of masks and a lot of things, coronavirus, we, you know, we haven't had time to do a lot of those studies. So we should rely upon the body of evidence that we do have. And I don't know if you want to talk much about the mask thing, but I'll just say that it's, it, 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 the evidence that they're using is based on really low evidence stuff. It's things like a hamster study. Oh, was, that's a ridiculous study. They didn't put masks on the hamsters, by the way. They put a mask over a hole between two cages. So if we should have concluded anything from the hamster study, it's that if you live in a cage, maybe put, you know, a surgical mask over the hole between you and the rest of the environment. But that's, that's all that it teaches. It, it didn't, um, increase the risk of oxygen lowering and the other problems when you put a mask on your mouth. Granted, they're, you know, hamster masks are not in, you know, high production or made at all. But, <laughs> but anyway, the, the evidence there, you know, we, we don't have a lot of randomized controlled trials in SARS-CoV-2, but we have influenza studies that are, ran we have multiple randomized controlled trials. We have meta-analysis and systemic analysis and they're not using those. Um, influenza is about the same size, viral size. It's got a lot of the similar characteristics. That's the science that we should be using to make that decision. Um, but we're not. We're using low-level evidence science because somebody's got an agenda, a narrative, and they're, they're, they're relying on low evidence science. And we have learned so many times in medicine that you can't rely on observational, you know, weak studies to draw strong conclusions. Um, you, for example, there, in the 1980s, there was a class of heart medications called antiarrhythmic um, heart medications. All the observational studies said, hey, these things are great. Then we finally did, before um, uh, the final step was due to the randomized controlled trials, when we did those, patients were dropping like flies. The, the, the drug was dangerous. So observational studies said, yeah, let's do it. Um, randomized controlled trials exposed the truth. And that, that class of medications never came to market, thank God, or we would have had hundreds of thousands of people dying. So wow. we, can't, we can't make strong decisions on weak science. So, so how can we tell whether, like, say I'm just, you know, browsing around in PubMed, like I do sometimes, <laughs> how, how can we tell? when something is a randomized controlled trial and when it's not? Where, where do we look for that? For anybody well, who's listening and going, okay, well, I'm going to dig into this. Many times it will say it uh, someplace in the methodology. So in the, the abstract section, uh, and, and this is a complex issue. This is where it does get a little sticky for the general public. But as you, as you, you know, read more and uh, read more about what is solid science versus pseudoscience, you, you'll start to pick these things up. So it's like anything else, it's, you know, practice. But in the methodology, it will often say this is a randomized controlled trial. The control group received this. Now, you really want to see what is the control? What did the control group get? So if you want to kind of check this strategy, go look at vaccine, um, go look at vaccine trials and see what the control group God, go look at the Gardasil vaccine preclinical trials. You will learn that the control group didn't get saline placebo. They got a, what's they, you know, what was spun as an active control. What's an active control? Well, it wasn't saline. It was everything that's in the Gardasil vaccine, except the, the HP, the human papillomavirus antigen. So they got the same toxic dose of aluminum adjuvant that the, that the um, test group got, the, the Gardasil group got. If, if aluminum adjuvants are the dangerous element, the adverse event-causing element, you've just, masked the, you've just masked the methodology. You just created a flawed study that is, is going to show that the all the girls that died in the Gardasil test group, um, if it, let's say 
20 girls died in the, in the test group and 20 girls died in the active control group that got everything, including the aluminum adjuvant, then, the, then Merck will say, see, no more girls died in the control group than died in the test group. So let's bring this to market. By the way, that's exactly what happened. What I just described is exactly what happened. Um, young, healthy, nine to 26 year old girls died in both groups at a rate that was someplace between 50 and 100 times age match control. So these girls were dying and being injured, but specifically dying at a rate that was 50 to 100 times what you would expect in the population of that age group. So that was a murderous trial. Merck has blood on their hands. They created a methodology that um, masks the adverse events. They could say, 20 girls died here, 20 girls died here. The, it's no worse than the control group, but the control group got a dangerous aluminum adjuvant. So that's, that's how you create pseudoscience and you bring a, a product to market. So you look at the control group, what did they receive? If it was not an inert placebo, then it's pseudoscience. Then you have a flawed methodology. Um, if it's if a lot of the mask um, studies, for example, don't have a control group. They, were, they, they don't have a control group. And when they do, they say masks don't work. But when they have a control group, um, they're off, they're, they're, they often confound it by they're also hand washing and social distancing. So which one of those was really effective? Well, you don't know if the methodology is flawed like that. The first place that I stopped, uh, I start in discerning the, whether a, a medical research study is flawed or um, might, be, might be more likely to be true is I look for conflicts of interest among the authors and the, the organizations for whom they work. You will often find that, um, you'll often find your truth there. So for example, one of the first studies trying to bury hydroxychloroquine um, it, with misinformation about its risk profile and the treatment of COVID-19 was produced at the uh, VA center. And um, three of the authors on that study, all three of the authors, in fact, the three primary authors, authors were involved and funded by Gilead Pharmaceuticals, the company that makes remdesivir. So that was, that was the first, you know, that was the first kind of indicator that, okay, they might have a financial bias. They might have confirmation bias. They might be contriving a fraudulent study. In fact, it was. So that was the first clue, but there were other clues that that was a bad study. So start with, look for conflicts of interest. Now, that's not always easy to do, um, but, but go searching for other places, um, other people that are questioning, and, and there's some really good investigators out there, people that don't have a journalism degree, don't work for the FBI, or they may not be well-trained, but man, they can use that Google machine like nobody else can. <laughs> they are, they're so often the people that break open a lot of these studies. It's not people at the CDC and the medical publisher Lancet. I mean, Lancet published an absolute piece of pseudoscience, you know, science fiction by Sapan, Dr. Sapan Desai of Surgisphere on, on hydroxychloroquine saying it increased the risk, you know, of cardiac arrhythmias by like 35%. Well, when, when the, the public and scientists and everybody started, it was an unpeer-reviewed published in Lancet, when, when the other, you know, researchers, independent researchers started pouring into this, they're like, well, the hospitals say they never had a contract with Surgisphere. How did you get that information from Australia? You know, um, the numbers don't make sense. Where's the, give us the data. Um, the other thing I would say about being discerning is you can't just read the headlines and the conclusions. Right. Many times I find, a, um, I was, I, I've read several in the last couple of days who concluded something that was not supported by the data that they provided. So one was on, was on mask. It was a meta-analysis of mask and influenza. And the conclusion was, yeah, they kind of work. Um, but when you read the data, it's like, no, your, your data says that there was no control group. They were, it's confounded by these, you know, hand washing and distancing. And um, the conclusion that you derive from this is not supported by the data. So you really, that's where it gets sticky. That's where you might need to, really kind of read about 
maybe statistics and analysis, but intuitively you, you, you can kind of figure a few things out. It's like if you're concluding that masks are effective, but your study was in people that were wearing a mask, washing their hands frequently, and social distancing, which one of those factors really contributed the most, right? Yeah. And in that same data set, they would show at hospital and hospital care, you know, hospital workers that a mask was, um, it didn't matter whether you wore an N95 or a surgical mask, they were about equivalent. What does that tell you about the mask as the intervention? One supposedly blocks 95% of particles, um, one maybe 44%, but they, were the, they had the same outcomes. Is the mask even relevant in that picture? Um, they didn't have an unmasked control group. Um, so, you know, it's like they're intuitively, you can look at that and say, well, if, if one blocks 95%, one 44%, which one is, are they working at all? Is it the mask or is it something else? You know, it's, um, there's, you know, things are complex. It's, it's, you know, the way viruses and, and drugs work is there's a lot of complexity there. So sometimes what makes sense intuitively, you know, mechanistically, it seems like mass should block the transmission of viruses because they, they block the particles, right? But, the, you know, the, it comes out the sides. Um, you may be increasing the transmission of the virus because people are handling it more. You may be um, lowering immunity in the wearer because it's lowering arterial oxygen and increasing arterial CO2 levels. You're rebreathing your own viral particles or mouth bacteria and fungi and all that, you know, there's, there's, you know, a thousand variables that we really need to consider. And sometimes what you think just makes sense in a mechanistic way, in a theoretical way, doesn't play out when you do the gold standard science. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's really good. And it, what you're pointing out, I think, is that there, there are a lot of gray areas. <laughs> There's a lot of messy middle and it's not just one side versus another because, you know, the other thing is, is this whole topic of health has gotten really political, which confuses me to no end because I just think we should be supporting the health of, of everybody and we should be supporting our immune system. So what would you say, you know, to somebody who is, is feeling fearful or overwhelmed with this information um, and, they, and they just want to live their lives and support their immune system uh, without fear, what are some ways that, that we can do that, that we can support a healthy immune system and, and be proactive in our own health? Well, I, you, hit, you hit it um, without probably realizing, although I think you probably realize that <laughs> one of the biggest impacts on our health and our immune system is the perception of fear. If you are in a fearful state, you are depressing your immune system significantly. Studies have shown this over and over again. You stress out the physiology of a human being or an animal, and you decrease the power of their immune system exponentially. So um, if you are in a fear state, you've gotta, you, you gotta find out what you can do to take yourself out of that situation. I, I would suggest that everybody stop watching the news because it, the news is, you know, it, it's based on salacious stories. It's all about fear. Everything is a worst case scenario. They're, they're hyper exaggerating the severity of COVID-19 to, you know, sell um, uh, time on their air. You know, they want to sell ad space. They want to sell you know, uh, magazines and newspapers. So if you're consuming all of your information from sources like the mainstream media right now, you're, you're, they are depressing your immune system. I wish we could sue them for the health impact that that creates, but um, fear is dangerous and it's physiologically healthy, uh, unhealthy for a human being. The other thing we need to understand is that we have more control over our health than what we have been led to believe. You know, the medical system loves to put you in a fixed mindset by, you know, a mindset that says, yeah, only my pills and drugs and vaccines can save you. You know, everything is hopeless until we get a vaccine. How many times have we heard that? Um, you know, but, but the reality is, is that we now have really good interventions that are safe and effective. Vitamin D levels are so important to your health. You can go out and get 
five to seven minutes of sunlight on your, uh, your arms and legs, as much of your body as you can expose, eat your lunch outside, and you'll create some really healthy vitamin D levels that have been shown to be very important to the prevention of all infections, to the, the support of your entire immune system against the millions, if not billions of viruses that we come in contact with every year. So, you know, um, and, and in fact, the, the evidence that vitamin D is so critical to our, the, you know, protection from infectious diseases like SARS-CoV-2 is things such as 98% of the patients that died in New York City for whom we had blood testing and vitamin D levels, they were so low, below 12 nanograms per deciliter, when it should be, you know, minimum of 30, I believe wow. it should be between 60 and 90. Yeah. You can't hardly overdose on vitamin D. You, you can supplement with vitamin D with K2. Those two should always go together. But vitamin D um, is, is probably one of the most powerful ways that we can, you know, support our immune system and have some armor against all infectious diseases. If we spend as much time talking about vitamin D and its importance, it's a low cost intervention as we did masks and vaccines and antivirals, we would probably have cut this, this um, death rate in half, if not better. Um, vitamin C, you know, zinc, we're, we've really gained a serious appreciation for the power of zinc and the prevention of viral infections. We should all be supplementing with these things. And when you do, you, you start um, countering some of the risk factors that are clearly involved in the people that are getting the disease. I, there's many good things that are coming out of this pandemic. You know, people are in my area, they're walking more, they're exercising more. I see them outside more people, mm -hmm. you know, older people that I never saw on my block are out walking around more because they're, they're starting to at least get this message that the people that are dying are obese. They're on multiple medications. They have low vitamin D levels. They, they are, they're, um, they have multiple comorbid conditions. They have, you know, heart disease, and type two diabetes. Um, you got to start, you know, and, and those are, those are honestly curable disease processes. Uh, it's not overnight. There's not a pill that's going to cure them, but you start exercising, you start eating better. You start, you know, taking some targeted supplements or eating foods that are rich in the nutrients that are important like vitamin C. And you can, you can put on a suit of armor that is darn near, you know, SARS-CoV-2 um, proof. So, I mean, we should be doing more of those things. But instead, you know, patients are being told, uh, you, got a, you got a positive, you're positive for COVID-2, you got symptoms. Well, go home, shelter in place, wear a mask, um, you know, stay indoors, don't go out. And if it gets really bad and you're having difficulty breathing, come to the hospital and, and we'll give you you know, we'll give you everything until we need to put you on a ventilator. And you're probably going to die. 88% of people are going to die on a ventilator. So that's, you know, if that's the only solution that our healthcare system is really has right now, and that's, I'm not exaggerating. That's what patients are being told most of the time. Instead, you need to find somebody that has a little bit more knowledge. And quite honestly, there's more people on the internet that are doing better to help People, you know, get the vitamin D, get the vitamin C, mega dose that, that you know, some vitamin A, C, and D, and, and get your zinc levels up. Maybe take some quercetin. Quercetin's over the counter. It acts like hydroxychloroquine in the sense that it opens up a zinc channel and, and cells. It allows that zinc to flow in and inhibit that viral replication. For goodness sakes, you know, why don't we just have more health coaches that can give people that information at a low cost, point them in the right direction and help people realize that they have, there's hope. They're not hopeless. That alone removes the fear and that alone supports better health because you're not in an immunosuppressed fearful state. Yeah, no, I agree. And if you, and if you do have somebody giving you uh, information or, or, or a doctor is telling you one thing and, and you just feel deep down inside that, that maybe there's something else out there or maybe that's not right and, and investigate that. And it's okay to get a second opinion, you know, and, and different people are gonna say different things. That's, that's just part of the deal. So it's okay to go looking for more. And I really want to encourage people, and I know you say that on your website, is that 
be be the scientist of your body become or something. A scientist, yeah, become a scientist of your own health. Yes, I mean, that's what it was. Yeah. If you don't, you're just going to subject yourself to a healthcare system that believes, you know, in a pill for every ill. They're going to spend seven minutes with you, usually, you know, trotting out um, the latest samples dropped off by the pharmaceutical rep with a hot meal and baubles and promises of cruise trips and speaking and paid speaking engagements. So you really got to, you got to do your own reading and you got to understand that you do have more control over your health outcomes. Don't put it in the hands of a medical establishment that is just going to push pills on you. I mean, you know, we, again, the medical systems have become the third leading cause of death in this country. And that's only if you're not really including all of the vaccine injuries, all of the opioid deaths that most of which start with a prescription um, before it became a dependency and addiction. So we're probably number one or number two, and that system is broken. So you, if you're going to, if you're going to become a better version of you, you're going to have to do it. You can, only rely on yourself. Your doctors, they're good people for the most part, um, but they're, they're seeing 40 patients in a day. They don't care enough. They can't, well, they, they can never care as much as you do about your own health or about the health of your family. So be proactive. The information that you, you can get a medical degree on, all by yourself. Well, you can't get an official medical degree, but you can acquire the knowledge that is equal to or superior than most physicians have, absent some of the hands-on experience and the surgical training, but a lot of the preventive primary care medicine things, you can acquire that information online. It's all out there. I'm, I tell my own children, I'm not a big believer in the formal educational system that we have in America today. You know, um, my son is brilliant. He, he never went to college. He got an, an appointment to West Point, but he wanted to go into the ministry. He reads a book a week and he is, you know, he is self-taught everything he learned. He did it himself. Not everybody is as self-directed as that. All my kids are that way, by the way, you know, so I'm a big believer that you, if you are self-directed, you can go find the information. Everybody out there, there's so many moms out there with vaccine injured children that know far more about the science of vaccines than most pediatricians. I kid you not. I'm not exaggerating. There are some legitimately brilliant people that know so much because their passion drove them and they went seeking the information. They were discerning. They wrote, they read both sides and they were simply seeking the truth, not a political agenda, not a financial bias. They were seeking truth. And, and there are so many examples out there and I give them so much credit and everybody can, can, can become that person if they care enough and they're passionate enough about their health, they can change it, they can become, so, you know, they can become so strong, so clear thinking that we need more of them. But you're, you know, yeah. if you're listening, if you're listening to the mainstream media, and you're watching commercials about Krispy Kremes and soda pop, and that's what you're consuming, you're less than what you should be, you're less than what you could be. Yeah, no, so some people might hear you say that and go, well, that's dangerous. You know, that, that could be really harmful letting people have free reign like that and letting people like, what if they pick up wrong information that's harmful for themselves or for their family members? What, what do you say to that? Well, I say that a big portion of the medical medically trained professional physicians are guilty of that exact same thing. They, look at the opioid epidemic. That was, that, that's on the shoulders of doctors. They read the that started with an editorial in a journal from that was just an opinion that said less than 1% of patients suffering true pain will develop a dependency and addiction to opioids. That's, that's the basis of the opioid epidemic is doctors believing that weak science. That's one opinion. I kid you not. Hmm. So, you know, I would say, I would counter by saying, you know, be freaking dangerous, be knowledgeable, be a dangerous, you know, combatant in this war for truth and knowledge, because, you know, everybody's guilty of it. Sure. Everybody can be, you know, can be leaned in the wrong direction if they're not careful about examining both sides. So when you engage in this war, be open-minded, be, you know, objective, 
try to recognize your biases and then go consume the knowledge and you know work on it day after day year after year but be freaking dangerous because if you're not you've got an adversary out there that is dangerous they and they're arrogant and they're full of hubris and they got lots of money and they'll use you to make more money so I want dangerous people out there that are consuming knowledge and science and they're coming at this adversary because there is an enemy that is a domestic enemy. It's the medical industry in many cases. It's a pharmaceutical industry in many cases and, and let's fight them. Yeah, that, that is, those are great words to end on. Cause I'm looking at the time and going, wow. Is it already 45 minutes? That it's been passed. Yeah. When you're fun. Yeah, no, I am just, you know, really fascinated by everything that you had to say. And it's definitely going to cause me to do more digging. And I hope it encourages listeners to do more digging. And, and if you don't agree with what Dr. Mian had to say here, that's okay too. We, right. we don't have to agree with everything. That's part of being your own health advocate. And you get to decide um, what is best for you and your family. And yes, that is dangerous. So, <laughs> uh, but some. Yeah. 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 So thank you again for coming on. I'm going to ask one last question. Sure. Uh, I usually run out of time to ask this question, but I love asking it is if, and if you, and you probably already gave it away, but if you could give one piece of advice to spark someone toward wholeness, what would it be? Well, it would, it, it would be to become a scientist of your own health. Don't delegate that to somebody else. You need to take responsibility for that. You need to you need to do your own investigation, your own research. You know, um, if I were to expand on that, I would say sometimes you might need to get a blood test. You might need to do genetic testing. Ge you know, genetic testing can really uncover yeah. some, some issues that are easily treatable. The MTHFR defect um, is a really common gene mutation that can be countered with low cost um, supplements like L-methylfolate, B12, B vitamins. I mean, sometimes it's as simple as knowing. So you have the, you have the knowledge and now you have something that you know that you can intervene in. And, yeah. um, but uh, I, that is, I, I would also say just be hopeful, be, be a problem solver and start solving your own problems because you, other people are just wanting to create problems for you and profits for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's really encouraging. And man, if we had more time, I'd be digging in on that MTHFR stuff. One of my favorite topics. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, Aaron. Thank you for doing this. Thanks for tuning in to Sparking Wholeness. For more on all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul, check out my website, sparkingwholeness.com. Don't forget to be kind and subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. And to be really kind, you can leave a nice review. I like those.